Welcome everyone to Seek, Go, Create. This is the place for the seekers, the goers, the creators, those people that are creating the lives that they were built and designed to have. And we always tell people this is kind of where leadership, business and ministry all comes together. So thank you for joining us today. I have a great guest. I've been excited about talking to this guy for a few weeks since I started doing some research on him. And, and so we're going to have fun. Before I get to him, let me just mention a few things. We love to share information here, but what we really love is when the conversation continues beyond just these next 60 minutes. So if you are watching this on YouTube, listening to it on the podcast or watching it on one of the social channels that we go live on and you're seeing a replay, jump down to the comments or jump down to wherever the platform is that you can give us feedback and just keep the conversation going. Ask a question, make a comment, agree, disagree. We would welcome any of that. And, uh, you know, one other sidebar, a new platform that we are experimenting with and looking at is Clubhouse. So if any of you are on Clubhouse, you could find us at Seek, Go, Create, because one of the things we're going to begin experimenting with, probably about the time this podcast goes live, is we're going to start having conversations with our guest on Clubhouse post or after the podcast going live. So keep an eye out for that and uh, join us there. So today we have, listen to this, I'm going to read some quick things and then we're going to have him give some information on his background. We have an eighth degree black belt. I'm going to have to even have him describe and explain what that means because I know that's incredible. Former national champion, speaker, author, coach, master of the champion's mindset. Our guest today is Chris Natsky. Chris, welcome. Natsky, I'm sorry. We said that. (laughs) Natsky, we talked about that earlier and I said the wrong thing. I apologize. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. It's so glad to have you here. This is the first question I like to ask after I, especially I mess up uh, pronouncing someone's name, is uh, why don't you just, you know, we bump into each other somewhere and we're chit-chatting and uh, I just say, hey, Chris, tell me what you do. What what would you tell me? Yeah. Yeah. I guess in, in a few words, Tim, is I inspire, lead, teach, and empower others to realize their full potential and happiness by helping them discover their own inner champions. Okay, I'm going to ask you to repeat those first three sure. words again. Inspire. Inspire, lead, teach, empower. Okay, because here's what I'm going to do right out of the gate, because I always get some of my great questions from there. I'm going to ask you to converse just briefly about each one of those. So yeah. let's start with the word inspire, yeah. Yeah. because that's a great word. But tell me what inspire means to you. Yeah. See, I just have a real deep belief that each one of us has this power inside of us and we connect with that God source, if you will, inside of us. And when we do that, that whole inspiration is what really is, for me, the building blocks of what enables us to do amazing things in this life. I mean, there's a lot of, it's like, it's like I have a friend of mine say, is if, you know, if have to, or how to's role it took, we'd all be rich, happy, and thin, right? So it isn't just about the things that we know what to do, but it's about the inspiration to make those things happen. And, and I find in my own life and in the people that I coach and that I work with, that when we tap into our own inspiration, the things that really inspire us and get us moving, and we can create that in our lives and in our careers, that's when we're the most happy. 
Yeah. All right. So that's good. I'm going to jump to the last word you mentioned, which was empower yeah. out of the four of those first four. Yeah. So do the same thing. Do a little riff with us just for that word empower. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think that sometimes some of the root of our greatest unhappiness as well as our discord in our lives and in our society is because people don't feel fully empowered. They've had times in their lives where that's been taken away from them or they thought that it was taken away from them. And I'm not talking about power from a standpoint of, of projecting and uh, trying to overpower someone. I'm talking about that sense of calm strength, because when we feel that inside of ourselves, I believe that we want nothing more than everyone else to feel that same way. And if everyone felt that way, man, the world would be a much, much different and better place, I believe. Well, I, I do want to say, you and I had a conversation before we flipped the mic on. I knew we were going to have a fun conversation, but just you starting out with those four words. I mean, I love the word lead and teach also, but I love the bookend around those four words you have of inspire and empower. And I think, I think at times, we know in our culture, there's a lot of words that might be, I don't want to say overused, that's not the right word. Maybe they're used incorrectly, mm. but from, from really looking at some of the things you're doing, I truly do believe there's an intentionality with those words. So I, I think we're going to have fun with this, but, but before we get too deep into all of that, I love to go deep fast because I, I, the thing that we really want to land on, I think, is that champion's mindset that is something that uh, seems to be a foundation to all that you do. But I, I want to get a little bit of background first because I, I need some education, may, the listener may also, on on the martial arts background that you have, because I think it's a, I think it's a key to some of your success. So I need you to explain to me, I know there's first degree, second degree, but come on, eighth degree black belt. Is that really a thing? You, you're not, you're not fudging there, are you? No, I'm not fudging you. No, no, no. The, so, so think about martial arts in this way. I mean, everybody has a pretty good understanding that when somebody starts, they're a white belt, right? And when, you know, they, they have some sort uh, form of mastery or expertise, or at least what we call in, in, in my system in Taekwondo, that when you get black belt, you've basically mastered the basics. That's really what you've done. But then the journey really begins from there, if you really want to get honest about it, because you've just kind of installed. It's kind of like, I guess, graduating high school. You've got a basic set of skills. But now how are you going to take that? And, and the way that I like to explain it in the martial art of Taekwondo, which I study, and have been for the last four and a half decades, there are nine degrees of black belt. And think of it this way, the, the first three degrees of black belt, first, second, and third is like, those are the fighters, right? Those are the warriors. They're out in the ring and, and doing their thing. And, and fourth through sixth is like the teachers, right? They're the ones that are the instructors. And then when you look at the seventh through the ninth degree, we hopefully uh, because of our experience and, and, and our worldly, you know, the lessons we've learned is we become the philosophers. And, you know, it's an interesting thing is when you look in martial arts, many times you see the people that have been around the longest and really have, you know, um, found a, a sense of mastery in what they not, they don't become the, the, the combaters and the destroyers anymore. They become the healers, right? Either healing through their words or some do it through touch and you know medicine or whatever but it's it's really about finding all those aspects of ourselves but then when it really comes down to it it's about how do you make the world a better place 
and you do it through healing. All right. Yeah. So, all right. Gosh, that's so powerful. There's so many things there. What did you learn about yourself along the way? Oh, because man. that obviously is a long process. Let's yeah. let's jump back to that first degree. Yeah. Tell me when that was. When did yeah. you achieve that? And yeah. you know how many years that took. And just maybe give us a few learning points about yourself. Sure. Because to me, I think the power of that level of mastery is self-actualization. Maybe Maslow's self-act. You know, learning about yourself and comfort, being comfortable with that as much as about others. Right. Tell me about that. Well, I received my first degree black belt on August 27th, 1977. Um, I remember Ooh. that because it was the day before my father's birthday. And um, the man who I received my black belt from is still my instructor to this day. His name is Grandmaster J.K. Lee. Uh, he lives in Milwaukee, and I, I was a, a Wisconsin kid growing up. And I share this story often, but I think it's good to give context to how I started. I, I started my martial art training in 73 before Master Lee came to the United States because I love the TV show Kung Fu. And you probably remember that as well, right? And, you know, there was nothing greater than that. And when I walked into that class for the first time, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm home. But then Grandmaster Lee came you. in my I, I want, hold on, I want to pause you just one second because I actually had this fleeting thought about the show Kung Fu recently. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the good and the bad of this, Chris, because I want to pause this story. We're going to jump right back to it. We just made a reference that there's a good likelihood that 90% of people out there that are listening in don't know the reference. So I'm going to ask you as a brief pause and then just keep going in the story, Absolutely. tell people what Kung Fu was. Right, right. Thank, and thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. I know I, when, I, when I use this in my keynote talk, I usually raise my hand to see how many people have actually heard of the show. So all the old people raise their hand, right? So this was a series, I believe it started in 72, went through 74, and it was a series of a Shaolin monk named Kwai Chain Kane, who was walking across the American desert. He was fleeing the authorities in, in China, and he would go into this town and the next, and guys would try to beat him up, and he'd take care of him using his kung fu. And, you know, when you're 10 years old, you see that's the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life, right? So I literally begged my mom to let me go to my first class, and it was like everything opened up. I felt like I was totally home. So that's Do you kind remember- of- do you remember there was a saying that described Kung Fu as like he's traveling as a wanderer, fighting for justice or something? I can't remember the exact yeah, saying. I can't remember. I mean, clearly he was Grasshopper, right? I mean, that was his name yeah. from, from Master Poe. It po, was so powerful. Right? Uh, but yeah, transformational. What many people don't know is that that role was supposedly first written for Bruce Lee. And um, the, the network said he looked too Chinese. So he went to, so he got angry, went to Hong Kong and then became an international superstar. So it worked out for him as well. But, uh, but that's what got me started in the martial arts. And, uh, you know, then I, three years after that, I met Grandmaster Lee. And this is the one story that I love sharing. I was in the classroom getting ready before the class started. And I was seated with my legs spread wide. I was stretching out, getting ready for the training. And he walked on the mat and he has this amazing presence, right? And he starts surveying all the students and pretty soon I realized he's looking directly at me. And before I could stand up and move, he'd come over and sat down in front of me. And he put his right foot on the inside of one leg, his left foot on the inside of the other. He grabbed the end of my martial art belt and with one push pull, split me out to 180 degrees. And 
as I like to joke, I learned two lessons that day. Number one, anyone can do the splits once. Um, but the other thing is, is he looked me in the eyes. And this is really the whole basis of what I do today. He looked me in the eyes and he said to me in his broken English, he said, I will make you a champion. I will make you a champion. And that is a definitive time in my life because all of a sudden someone who I, I loved, I admired, I respected, claimed my greatness for me. And I figured at 13 years old, well, if he thinks that it must be true. And it put me on a whole different trajectory in my life. Did you have any, I don't know if perception is the right word, clue, understanding of potential for you? Did you, did you kind of go in, you know, some people go into a new environment with a swagger, like, you know, I'm kind of all that. They usually get humbled pretty quickly, but we won't go into that. Or did you go in just kind of like, I want to be like Kung Fu, you know, uh, I, I want to be like David Carradine's well, character. What what was your mindset? Because we're going to talk mindset yeah, all throughout yeah. this. And, and someone spoke someone, they prophesied into your soul, into your life. Did that resonate? Did you go, huh? Or what? Do well, you, recall? you know what I'd love to share, Tim, because I'm, that's such a wonderful question. I did not at all go in there with any type of swagger. I was 13 years old. I was scared to death. You know, I was, you know, um, I saw this man. I was in awe of. I was I had to travel. It wasn't like martial arts schools today where there's one at every corner. I had to travel 30 miles to train with him. And now I'm in an area of the city of Milwaukee that I've never been to before. I'm, you know, all these people I don't know. And so at the moment when he said that, I immediately thought, well, trophies and tournaments and whatever. But I always love to share this. What I've really learned over the course of my life is he always talked about being a life champion, a champion in life. And that's what started to open up for me, you know, how to have this great, you know, powerful vision for our lives, how to how to move through obstacles with, with grace and strength and also how to live a life of service. And that's what I, I have come to learn throughout the decades afterwards. That's what he really meant. Wow. Now there, there's some, I'm going to, I may show my ignorance about martial arts. If so, please feel free to correct me. But to me, the thing, our son did karate for a brief period of time. And, uh, and I would go, and it was one of these martial arts. We were outside of Atlanta, one of the places on the corner. And they, they do kind of churn a lot of younger kids through those. And that's good. I think they teach a lot of great principles, but it seemed like at that stage, it was more about technique and movement and maybe gaining confidence. Yeah. But you mentioned at the beginning uh, some things that made me wonder, or maybe this is my perception, or maybe we're going back to Kung Fu. I don't know that it is really spirit, soul and body. It's like it's really everything about who you are. It's not just a physical breaking a board or 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 something like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, again, everything to me is layering on the mindset. And so related, if you, I know you can, but just tell me, educate me on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great question and a great observation. And I think not all martial arts schools are the same, right? I was very blessed to have someone who our training had the martial art philosophy as well as the physical and some very arduous physical training at that, that was all molded into one. So there was really no separation. You know, we had those principles input into us. And, and that for me became a template. And then as I grew into an adult, 
that's what continued to make my journey a thirst for continual personal development and spiritual work and expansion and integrate that even more. See, because I think that if we don't do that, if we don't integrate that in martial arts, we create street fighters, we create people that can kick and punch. But what you want to do is you want to create someone who understands the power that they have they have developed, but they do so from a standpoint of humility, knowing that they, if they need to use it, they can, but they can also take those basic principles and lessons and apply them to every aspect of their life. See, that's where it becomes really, really powerful. I mean, heck, the last time I got in a fight was I was 11 years old, right? But I used my martial arts every day. And hopefully my students do the same. They learn and they apply those lessons. Yeah. All right. That's that's good. All right. So continuing along the theme, especially going back to something you said earlier, there there had to be a time. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about 13-year-old Chris and, and I'm envisioning um, were you, I mean, was there any, were you athletic? Did you enjoy other yeah, sports yeah. or I hate to say, were you just like, I hate, I hate to say this, like scrawny kids <laughs> stepping into, you know, uh, right, right, martial right. arts. I mean, give me a, give me a little visual of you. Are you yeah. like a already? To- totally. No, I wasn't the, I wasn't scrawny kid. In fact, just the opposite. I was a little heavy, a little chubby. Oh, okay. In fact, it wasn't uh, too long before that, that I would get teased and be called Chris Fatsky at school. So there was this okay. image of, you know, and by the time I met Grandmaster Lee, I started to grow and, you know, move into puberty and I started to stretch out a little bit. But um, no, it, I, you know, I was a good athlete. And then as a result, I know of martial art training, I became a very good athlete. I eventually became an all-state football player and, and was a scholarship athlete in college, uh, playing football at Northwestern University. And, it, and I can almost guarantee that I that would have never come to that point had it not been for my martial art training. So there was definitely a transformation. And the other thing I'll share is it was a very unique time in martial arts history in the United States. When we think of martial arts now, just like you said, with your child in Atlanta, with your son, it's oftentimes nowadays considered a kid's activity. This was, that was before the Karate Kid movies came out. When I was training, I was 10, 11, 14 years old with a whole bunch of adults. So there was no room to hide or to you know, to beat a little kid, I had to, I had to step up with everyone else. Yeah. I, all right, man, we are throwing some awesome references to people with Kung Fu and Karate Kid. We're not going to go into Karate Kid, but okay. at the beginning, you mentioned when you talked about the belt progression and moving from, I guess, maybe warrior fighter to maybe teacher to then philosopher and maybe mentor and um, I guess what I would love to find out from you, were you, were you hyper aware as you were moving through those stages? Were you only aware later? And let me tell you the reason why I'm asking this. One of the underlying themes of us at Seek Go Create on this show is we really talk a lot about redefining success. And many times when we're, I don't want to say immature, but let's just say less mature, we think success is X, but as we go through things and mature and you maybe move through those progressions, you move through life, you go through things yourself, you know, good, the bad, the ugly, we kind of get a different perspective of that success. So I've mashed a couple things together there, but I could tell you've got the capacity to really, to really play with that. So talk about the progression 
you know, fighter, warrior, to, to teacher, then to philosopher, and then maybe weave in maybe how you redefine success along the way. Is that something you could do for us? Absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is when you're in those early belts and you're training. And for me, I had these martial art heroes and, you know, people I wanted to aspire to. And it was all about fighting and, and strength and power, kind of like being a superhero, right? And I can remember a time in my life that was quintessential and it was again with Grandmaster Lee. And I love sharing this story because it was so, again, profound in my life. I got my black belt, my junior black belt when I was 14 and I was probably around 15 years old. And Grandmaster Lee after class used to have us all huddle in his office around his desk and he would tell us stories about Korean culture and, you know, and martial arts in Korea, et cetera. And because of his accent, he was very difficult for many people to understand. Uh, but the, I, and so he would start talking and people would trail off where maybe they had someplace to go. Maybe they couldn't understand him, but I could always understand him always, always understand him. And one day we were sitting there, everybody had trailed off and that was just he and I, and you know how sometimes our kids or when we're a child, we will ask adults a question we already know the answer to. We kind of want to test him. So I was, again, 15 years old, and I already knew this. In, in Japanese martial arts, there's a term called sensei for teacher. The Korean equivalent is called sabum nim, means honored instructor, sabum nim. So it was just he and I sitting there and across his desk, and I said, sir, what does sabum nim mean? Of course, I already knew the answer, but he paused, and then he looked at me, and he said, sabum nim means father. Boom, directly in the heart. I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. And the context for me, I was growing up in a household where my father was alcoholic. You know, he was in the home, but it was a real difficult time at home. And it wasn't when I heard his words, I wasn't hearing, I'm going to be your father. That's not what I heard. What I heard was, I'm here as that father for you if you need. And, and importantly, if you choose this path, you need to be ready to play that role for others as well. So I love telling that story because that was, I think that's another shifting point in my life because now teaching martial arts took on a whole new meaning to me that you talk about success. It wasn't just about, you know, making money doing, although money's important. It was about how can I impact people's lives and play that role for them? Just like it was played for me. Yeah. Wow. That's that whole image of father is such a powerful image. And you know what? It's such a challenged image for so many people today in culture, because like you said, the, the, the situation you grew up in, you know, you had, you know, if all of a sudden someone mentions father, it just means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I believe you probably believe similar that it also impacts the relation with our heavenly father, because Absolutely. if you perceive a father as being a certain way, um, violent, mean, alcoholic, never says a word, right. uncaring, unloving, whatever, whatever it might be. Many times we look at the heavenly father that way. So Absolutely. that, that was really good. So now at some point along the way, you began moving into your professional career 
And what I'd love to do, and maybe maybe we'll do kind of a condensed version here if we can, because I want to get to all that you're doing now and how you've used the sum total of all your experience and background to be a blessing to people in the current environment. But give a little bit of experience, maybe business, corporate and things sure. along the way so that we can get some contact. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Well, so I told you that I played football at Northwestern University and um, the last week of uh, my football career, the offensive line coach came up to me and, you know, I knew him, but I didn't play for him. I played inside linebacker. And he said, Hey, uh, Procter and Gamble wants to speak with you next week. Are you available? And I said, well, coach, I got nothing else going on. You know, the season's over. So I met with P and G on the following Tuesday, met with him again on Wednesday, met with him again on Thursday. And by mid December, I had a job. So I, I started my corporate career with Procter and Gamble in, in sales in Chicago and continue to go, move up through the ladder. Uh, did really well, started in Chicago, went to Southern California, took a special assignment in Cincinnati in the corporate offices and then came out to Denver. So in about span of about eight years, three promotions, three moves, et cetera, and really thought that that's what I was gonna be doing the rest of my life. I have nothing hmm. but great memories and great things to say about my my experience with PNG, but there was always this gnawing of, Hey, you know, the martial art thing, you know, you always said you wanted to do that. And, and we're no longer together, but my, my wife at the time was such a blessing in this regard. She said, you know, we love Denver. The boys love it here. You know, we know if you get promoted, it's another move, but you've, I, she and I were high school sweethearts. She said, I know you've always wanted to open up a martial arts school why don't you go for it? And so what a blessing she was. And so I opened it and never looked back. I mean, I left PNG after a 10 year career, but the, as soon as I started the school, you know, talk about everything in alignment when we're in our, when we're in alignment with our purpose, you know, within, within a year, 200 students and the average school in the United States was 80 students. Within a year, I have 200 within five years, I got 500 at students at one location. It just, yeah, I mean, it was changed the total trajectory of my life. And now when I look back at it, it wouldn't be that I wouldn't have had a good life in the corporate arena. But I mean, I've I've had 1,200 students or more that have got their black belt with me, tens of thousands I've been able to teach and impact. And just what a blessing, just what a blessing. And so, you know, what I would say to everyone is if you've got that in your heart, listen to it, listen to it. So, so one of the things that often happens when people have conversations like this, Chris, is that we, we hit the high points. It's kind of like a joke with people about what happens on social media. We only show the good stuff. Yeah. Um, you and I were talking just briefly. You were kind of asking, say, hey, uh, you live in an RV. What's the story there? How did that happen? And I kind of went through our short background, you know, that it, it wasn't an exciting journey boy, what a blessing it is to be where we are now. When we, when we say things like you just went through, usually we kind of hit the high points, but it, without going too deep into it, talk about a few of the hurdles oh. or the bumps or the difficult things along the way that, that you've learned from or, or that you just want to share, oh, whatever, no, I'll just kind of leave it open to you. Because, because those are really some of the inflection points along the way that really that really form us and make us who we are. So can you give a few of those for us? Oh my gosh. Thanks for asking that question because I've actually now come to a point in my life where I really love sharing the story I'm going to share with you. I think at first I was a little bit hesitant, but 
you know, when you're, for me, I had 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 a success in the corporate world, I had success in the athletic world, et cetera. Now I'm going to venture off into this new business. And I, you know, outside of Grandmaster Lee, I've had no role models in my family about doing the business on my own. And I've got two young sons, I've got a wife and I'm breadwinner, et cetera. So not only was this the most exciting time in my life, it was also the most petrifying time in my life. And the closer I was getting to it, um, the closer I was getting to it, the more anxiety was coming up, the more fear was surfacing. So much so that I started having panic attacks. And in fact, one uh, day after going through a panic attack while I was still at PNG, with only one of my friends knowing I was leaving, I had a full blown panic attack, had to excuse myself. I, up until then I had one sick day in 10 years, right? So they're like, oh man, he must really be sick. That's what I told my boss. And I called my, my church, I called my minister's office and I asked to see someone. And so I was able to go and see um, minister, uh, Dr. Marjorie Strom. And um, literally within minutes, I was on her floor in the fetal position. So wrought with fear. What will, what happens if this fails? What will happen to my family? I'm thinking, you know, I look back at it now and I laugh, but at 33 years old, I, at the time, I thought, if this fails, I'm done, right? My life's over. And she cleaned me up. Uh, and I literally had a student belt testing that night. So, you know, the students test for the new belts. And because I was teaching at a grade school at the time before we moved to the new facility. And um, I did it without a hitch without a hitch. No one knew anything was wrong. I rose to the occasion. And as soon as we ended, I crashed again. So my, my former wife took me to the hospital here in Denver, Swedish hospital, admitted me into the emergency room. And I spent the night there sedated. And they, they told me when I woke up in the morning, they said, Chris, if you wouldn't have been such a well-conditioned athlete, you would have gone into cardiac arrest. So now, I obviously made it on the other side. I made it with a lot of, you know, deep introspection, a lot of faith, a lot of support from amazing people along the way. But I, I love sharing that story because I think sometimes, as you said, we only think of the high points or people hear the high points. And that was petrifying to me. But now coming out of that, it's one of the best things that ever happened because I realized how I needed to rely on something bigger than myself to get through that. Yeah. All right. That's good. I've got, you, you know, we're getting a rhythm here on this conversation we're having. So you probably are recognizing how things fire away in my head. And we're going to talk about your book in just a moment. But one of the, the sub, the, I guess the subtitle is discovering your inner champion. Yeah. And there's another thing that's out in the world today that's called the imposter syndrome. Yeah. And what you just shared to me, 33 years old, probably felt maybe invincible in some ways, but then all of a sudden you're in the fetal position in, you know, a, a doctor or a minister's office, counselor's office. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to mention those three or four things to you. You've got uh, anxiety, breakdown, almost literal, uh, you know, imposter syndrome, is that when the inner champion began to develop inside you? Because most people would never put all those words together. Yeah. Most you know people what? can't see inner champion. I'll tell you what. I, I love that you pointed that out because if I get really introspective and think about it, you're absolutely right. Because I think 
the inner champion gets accessed when we, as I said, we realize there's something bigger than ourselves that we ta we're tapping into. And we don't do that when things are going great. <laughs> when, you know, when, when the money's coming in and the career's going great and the relationships are great, we don't think of it then. It's those times when we're down. That's when we go, whoa, I, if I'm going to get up, I got to rely on something bigger than myself. And, and then when we discover that, then what happens is, is it becomes this wonderful template and example for us to deal with challenges in the future, because you know, it doesn't end there, right? We're going to continue to get challenges, but then we always have that. Like that for me is a reference point. It's kind of like, if I can get through that, I can get through this, what I have in front of me, right? So I would yeah, agree like with you. I, I guess I've never really thought of it that way, but you're right. That was where the seeds started because when you're at that low point and you're, you know, you think you're Mr. Tough Karate Guy and all of a sudden you're rolling around in somebody's office and you can't even get your head off a pillow for two weeks afterwards. Yeah. You need to start looking at things a little differently. Well, I love it. And I love the conversation we're having because I love when people talk about all the success and how they, you know, achieve this and did that and all that. I love all that. But here's what I've come to know at, at the age that I am, I'm 57. You and I are maybe close. You might be a few years younger. Just turned 58 like yesterday, brother. Just turned 58 Woo! yesterday. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? We are looking good, feeling That's good. Right. I'll tell That's you right. what, we are, <laughs> we are, some people are looking at going, woo, look at those good looking That's right. Guys. There you uh, go. Or, or if they're not, please don't comment uh, in, any of the, uh, in any of the forums there. Just let us keep thinking that. There you go. But, 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 I think back on my journey and I use the word journey because what, what we do many times is we look at events and there's an event where we're up on a stage, we're getting accolades, we're getting that belt, we're getting that next level, we're getting that award for sales, we're getting whatever. But that's not when that occurred. It occurred at 13 years old when your, you know, your Grandmaster Lee spoke to you and spoke into your life and said, you're a champion. You, you know, and then and then that low point that you just mentioned and and one thing I'm going to fast forward here and then what we're going to do in just a moment, I want you to give us a few of the seven keys to sure. creating life of sure. purpose from your book uh, and we'll we'll let people know how they can get the book and we can talk about that. But we are probably depending on when people listen to this about 12 months in here in the United States into a, a pandemic that's impacted the entire world. I, I would venture to say that if anyone were to say they have not been impacted, I would want to kind of shake them a little bit. I said, are you sure you haven't been impacted? Because this has impacted a lot of things in life. So, Chris, what I'd love for you to do, I mean, I don't, it may have had an impact on you because I know you speak and yeah. probably your keynote and things like that. Maybe share a little bit about how it's impacted you. And then maybe speak to, you know, overcoming to some people that may may still be kind of going through some things, businesses are collapsing. And yeah. we still have, I think, a long way to go financially on some right. things. But talk a little bit about that. I'd love to hear your impact. You know, I, I talked to a lot of speakers and authors. And then we're going to move into your seven keys to awesome. creating a life of awesome. purpose. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting you bring that up because when I look back at 2020, it started out as being it was going to be my best year ever speaking. I had in the first two months, 13 talks, you know, it was like, it was rolling. I'm like, man, I'm on this pace, I'm going to have like 60 talks this year. And, <laughs> and then boom, everything hit. And how'd that work out for you? Yeah. How'd right. That how'd that work out for me? <laughs> and now I had other things lined up, you know, coaching and some other things, but then those, some of those started to peel away as well. And 
I think the first thing that I, I guess I would say about that is, is that, and I know it becomes a cliche, but when one door opens, another or closes, another another one opens, and you know there were there were times like like what am I going to do with my day now? Because I had all these other projects I was working on, but I took the opportunity. Um, I wrote another book. I did another online program. I developed my website. It's you know so that's just from a practical standpoint that kept me busy. But the other thing that I did is I, I guess I realized that when we're in those places, when they're in those places of challenge. It's about getting really present where we are right now and then looking to do the next right thing and the next right thing. Because when we get too, when I get too far ahead of myself, that's when I get into worry and fear. And one of the things that I, I shared during one of my keynote talks, I talk about this study that was done years ago where it was called the worry cure. And they brought these people together and they had them list all the things they were worried about happening in the next 30 days upcoming. So they made this, this, you know, total list and they handed it in and then they had them come back 32 days later. And what they found is, is that 85% of the things they worried about on that list and they, and they noted never happened. And now I know what many listeners are saying, well, 15% did, right? But of the 15%, 79% of the 15% either happened and they, it wasn't as bad as they thought it would be, or they were happy it occurred because they learned from it. So then it's like 97% of the things we worry about either never happen or they serve us. So I had to start when things started getting a little tight for me, I had to start leaning into that. I'm like, okay, I do this for a living. I got to start living this. And things just continue to unfold beautifully. So, and it didn't come without any challenge and worry and fear, but I was all, I was taken care of to be sure. Yeah, I, I think that there are going to be many people, and my hope is that it's all over the world, and my hope is that it's not just millions, it's not just hundreds of millions, that there are billions of people that are going to gain clarity. They're going to, you know, understand what what they're created and designed to be through this process, because I know that it even helped me. I mean, you know, both of us are kind of mindset coach type guys. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but man, March, April, May, you know, I put clients on pause, business things. And, and I was just, I, I was watching too much news and things like that. And I was just like going, you know what? I know how this mindset stuff works and I'm kind of faltering. Right. What, what are the people out there that don't know how totally. it works? What do you, what do you totally. think? <laughs> I'm, I'm totally there. And that's why I'm saying I, it's like, we, we do this for a living, right? And that's one of the things I think that's cool about martial arts, at least I looked at, is I needed to always keep myself at the top of my game because I was kind of the product. And I think the same thing goes in coaching and speaking. People, audiences, coaching clients, they can detect inauthenticity a mile away, right? We have to be living what we say we teach or coach or whatever. And so, yeah, there were a couple of times when I had to take a hard look at myself and say, you know, where is that mindset? Where are you allowing that to drift? And uh, but you know what? It's like they say when someone is, you know, a pilot's flying a plane. Ninety-nine percent of the time, it's off course. You know, our our lives are about readjusting, and it's it's not so much being off course. It's about being aware and then correcting. That's when we're moving forward. That's so good. And that lesson that you learned, I think everyone will learn this lesson. It's just really valuable the sooner we learn it as opposed to later. And that is that there's a bigger picture. We're not necessarily in control of all the things we think we're in control of, 
that's what I've had to revisit the last 12 months. How about you? Absolutely. And I, you know, it's, it's like surrendering to that, right? It isn't about giving in. It's about giving up the things that aren't serving us, right? That negative mindset, those habits that aren't working, you know, because people think surrendering to it is weakness. It's really the biggest area of strength we can show, you know, when you really get down to it. Yeah. And just kind of spiritually, there's so much power in just saying, you know what, I'm going to put in the action that I'm supposed to put in today, plant the seeds. And you know what? God's just going to have to take it and grow it and do what he does with it. Cause I don't have that much control. Over Amen. It. Well, so, one of my uh, teachers told me, and I'll, I, I use this phrase a lot is that, you know, you're right. All that intentionality and that movement, it's because God meets us at the point of action. Right. That's yeah, where just, God meets us. Right. As we we're going on our path for whatever we're looking to do. I think I related to that. I think I saw somewhere that you have a master's degree in something called spiritual psychology. That is correct. The first thing that, that I need is for you to tell me what spiritual psychology is yeah. and then tell me the value that ad that added to your, your life, your toolkits, whatever. Absolutely. And, uh, and then I promise we're going to start talking about Yeah, this no worries. No, this is great. I, I loved my experience uh, in spiritual psychology, getting my master's from University of Santa Monica. And when you think of uh, psychology, the root word of psyche is actually breath of spirit. Okay, so we think in our, in our modern nomenclature that it's all about studying behavior and things like that. And that was part of it. But it's about how we access that spiritual aspect of ourselves. It was actually originally developed as a program for ministers to do counseling, right? So there was a lot of work in terms of uh, working with clients, and, and it was probably 80% experiential. So we would, have a, we would have a topic we'd be learning, and then we'd go in trios. One would be the counselor or coach, one would be the client, and one would be the neutral observer. And then we would actually process. So not only are you learning the skills, but you're processing your own life which is incredibly powerful. And probably the, one of the main contributors of that is the concept of what they call and what I call compassionate self-forgiveness, which is, you know, we think of forgiveness oftentimes of, you know, someone does us wrong and we're going to forgive them for what they did for us. And it almost puts us in this position of, of righteousness that we can now forgive you. We'll absolve you of all those bad things. But compassionate self-forgiveness is realizing that, we are letting go of the aspect of ourselves that is creating the judgment and how we oftentimes are the things we judge others for we're projecting really their projections of what we're judging ourselves for. So when we have that healing and we realize, I mean, let's face it, there's, there are people that do some really bad things here on earth. However, I believe that most of, of, if not all the bad things that are done are done because people really think they're probably trying to do the right thing and they're coming from a standpoint of pain. And when you can work that away, now all of a sudden you see people differently and you can meet them on a different level. So that training for me was not only life-changing in my own life, but in my work that I do with my coaching clients, it was transformational. Wow. Does compassionate self forgiveness have any relationship to that control word we were talking about a few minutes ago? And if so, how? Well, I think so. And I, I also know that the root of the word compassion is 
is conjoined with passion, which is, you know, compassion is to suffer with, right? And so creating that empathy, creating that empathy. And then when you do find that, then yes, you're right. Then those things that we're trying to fight and hold on to, we can now surrender and let go of. And that's when the power comes. And man, it, the, the, those times in those two years that I studied there, I had some profound experiences around that concept in and of itself. Wow. Excellent. Well, tell me about Black Belt Leadership, Seven Keys to Creating Life of Purpose by Discovering Your Inner Champion. First of all, I want to apologize. I typically will read some, if not all, of a book before I interview someone. I've actually got four interviews this week, so I'm a little bit behind okay. in my prep. But so I have not been able to take a look at it. I apologize for that. But tell us about it and some of the origins of it. And then I may ask for you to give us a few of the keys. Absolutely. Well, interestingly enough, the origin of it uh, came when I was getting ready in 2008 to test for my seventh degree black belt. And one of the requirements that Grandmaster Lee has when you test is to create an essay on how martial arts has impacted your life. And so I came up with this idea, seven degrees of black belt, seven key principles of black belt leadership. And what I did during my testing is I had, as I was performing physically and I would take breaks, I would have my students or my sons read one of those seven qualities. So the first one being having a purposeful vision, the second one being the change we wish to see in the world, et cetera. Well, after that, I had a very dear friend of mine say, well, that's your keynote. You know, that's that's what you can go out in the world and do. So I started speaking on it. And then then the next thing I heard, well, well that's your book. And so it's really the foundation of the principles that I teach and speak from. And it, it's basically a, a, a confluence of the great things that I learned in my martial art training, as well as what I've learned spiritually, you know, spiritual psychology lessons, et cetera. With the point being that you don't need to be a black belt to be able to understand and and engage those aspects in your life. We all can. I just happened to, you know, spend 35 years kicking and punching before I uh, I, I put it all together. But each, any one of us can use those principles. Yeah. And all right. So the first one is related to purpose and vision. Is that what I heard you say? Yes. All right. So my guess is, is that that's somewhat foundational, correct? Very foundational, because, you know, you know, vision is what gets me up in the morning, probably what got you to be doing this podcast. And we all know from a big a biblical standpoint that, you know, without a vision, the people will perish. Right. And so yeah. this standpoint of I know I've learned in my life that when obstacles come forward and in fact, usually when the vision is bigger, the bigger the obstacle. But when we can hold on to that vision and we can hold on to why that vision is important to us, many times that's the, that's the tipping point that gets us through. Because when we look at it just from a tactical standpoint, a lot of times those things can go by the wayside. But when that vision comes from our heart, that's when magic happens. That's when magic happens. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to, I've got, I think, two questions, maybe more. I'm not going to. I'm not going to lock myself down here related to this because in, in what I do, because uh, I'm, I'm a coach for, for organizations and for leaders also, I think we, we have probably very similar people that we work with, which is, I, I can tell it's such an honor for you to do that. And I'm so honored when I get to do it. It's like the ultimate form of discipleship and mentorship and, and such a beautiful thing to do. But 
I also know that there are many people, it's the nature of the world we're in, that when we use terms like purpose, vision, uh, I like to use assignment in the kingdom or Mm -hmm. something like that, their eyes glaze over and they just have no concept, understanding. Can you speak to those people first? And then I've got a follow-up question for Mm -hmm. another group. So someone who's sitting there going, I have no clue what he's talking about with my purpose. Right. Well, this is a process that I basically take my clients through when they are really have um, an aspect of they don't understand what their purpose is. There are many people, you know, it's a, in the coaching world, having a purpose, that's a big, a big idea. And then I I've literally seen people get agitated. Like, I don't know what my purpose is. And what I generally do is I say, take a look at your life from as far back as you can remember. And when were you happy, energized, fulfilled? And what were you doing and who were you serving during that time? And just make a a laundry list of it. I mean, all the way back to kindergarten, if you can remember that far. And what were you doing? You know, who were you being? What were you doing during that time? And and where, where were you feeling where you were truly alive? And then after you make that list, just see where the common thread is. And that common thread is most likely your purpose. And you were doing that purpose in different ways. You know, the purpose wasn't necessarily for me to be a martial arts instructor. My purpose was to inspire, lead, teach, and empower others. I could do that in the corporate world. I could do it as a parent. I could do it as a martial arts teacher. So, so many times people connote the, um, the, the purpose with a career, and it's not really true. There are some people that are 100% on purpose raising their children right? That's a purpose for them. So that's, that's what I would say to everyone is where have you had those times in your life? And when you step back and look at it from a 30,000 foot view, where's the thread? That's your purpose. Yeah. I love that. It's kind of like I, I, I had something popping in my mind, dig and look for clues because the clues have been given to you all yeah. along the way, which you and I are in such good sync here because my next question was going to be, did Grandmaster Lee speak your purpose into your life when you were 13 years old and you walked into that studio? Ab- absolutely. Because, you know, the championship was, wasn't, at first I thought it was just in the ring, right? And I eventually did really well and was a national champion, et cetera. But man, later on, you know, it's so funny because I didn't think about it for years, but then later on I would hear his voice, you know, you become life champion. You know, he had broken English, right? So I'd hear life champion, life, life champion. Wow, that's what he means. And it, it, it added such a broader context for me than, you know, bowing in and, and, you know, kicking and punching in the ring. So absolutely, he, he breathed that into me. And, you know, what's so yeah, interesting but- is I, I shared that. I've shared this story, of course, thousands of times. And I shared it one time with his son, who I was his son's teacher, his son's instructor. And we were joking around. We have a good relationship. He's like my little brother. And he's like, uh, you know, my dad tells that to everybody. And I said, yeah, but he said it to me. That's all that mattered. He said it to me. And so anyway. Excellent. Excellent. So because I'm sitting here jumping back to reading what you said when we started Inspire, Lead, Teach, Empower, which is a life champion. You know what I mean? All these things, gosh, they they tie together so beautifully. So, man, that's exciting. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. Absolutely. All right. Give us give us a little bit more. Give us some nuggets yeah. from the book. We'll make sure people know where to go get it. Now, is this the book you wrote during pandemic or, no. or is this no, another no. book? Would, yeah. 
Oh, tell tell us tell yeah. us a few things about the seven keys, and then and then also give us a little Absolutely. synopsis of the other. Book Thank you. you. Yeah, so the seven keys are are these seven principles that I said that I created during that time. And it's about having a purposeful vision. It's about being the change we wish to see. Many of us walk around life as human doings, but we're really human beings, right? And if we want more success, if we want more collaboration, more compassion, more courage, start being that, right? Then do the things that support that way of being, and then you can have what you want. But many of us get those words, you know, mixed around. We look at life from have, do, be. You know, when I have this, then I'll be happy. But it starts with that inner journey. It starts with that inner, that inner growth, that inner manifestation. So that's number two. The, the third one is, is integrity. And so what I mean by integrity is, you know, a lot of times we connote that with honesty. But it's also about being true to not only others, but being true to ourselves. So listening to those voices and also not so much always keeping our word because sometimes it's difficult to do that but honoring our word because there's going to be times that we slip up it's part of the human experience but when we do slip up make sure we take accountability for that you know even if you if you're a person this is my opinion if you're a person that's compulsively late right that lack of integrity even if it's a couple minutes it bleeds into other aspects of your life right and we all have those things, right? Whether it's eating too much sugar or it's being late for meetings or whatever, but that's what I mean by integrity. I'm going to grab the book here so I make sure that I don't miss um, one of yeah, them for you. Yeah, so, so as you, as you got them. integrity, now go ahead there because I, I want to chime in on that integrity because actually just yesterday I was doing some study in scripture yeah. and uh, and as a, as a follower of, of Jesus, I, I, was, I always like to read the red letters and he was just, this is my words, not scriptural. He was going off on hypocrites and Pharisees. And when, when you said integrity, the word hypocrite came to mind because it's when your thoughts and, and, and words and actions aren't in alignment. Absolutely. And I thought that was extremely powerful. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, I'd love it if you could kind of hit us just maybe real quickly with, uh, with the other four. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and then we're coming in for a landing here. So, okay. Uh, so excellent. Very good. Well, number four is conscious persistence. And the reason I titled it conscious persistence is we all as human beings, and particularly those that have achieved success in particular areas of life, we're probably pretty persistent in what we do. I mean, you got to where you're at, I've got to where I'm at because we continued. But how often are we doing that and we're not even conscious of our actions? And I like a joke with audiences, think about the last time you, met, you left a meeting you drove 40 minutes home, and as you were driving up the driveway, you had no clue how you got there because you weren't present. And so it's not necessarily about being persistent. It's about being conscious and persistent about the right things. So that's what I mean by, by that principle. Um, number five is probably my favorite. It's compassionate service. I just think that when we are in leadership positions, it's like, you know, the old Spider-Man thing, you know, to those to whom much is given, much is expected. I think that was, or maybe it was great with great strength comes great responsibility. That was Peter Parker. But anyway, they're both the same. And it's like, we have just beautiful opportunity to serve in our, in our lives. And particularly when I find, when I am in the places where I feel the most challenged and I'm not feeling good about things, a lot of people are dealing with depression and su suicidal ideation, et cetera. When we serve others, that's when 
we begin to light up as human beings because we're really all connected in that way. So that that's the the, the fifth one. Number number five or six, I alluded to before. It's about acceptance and surrender. So you know, I think of the if you remember the the movie the um, um, what's the one with Tom Cruise? Or why am I blanking on it now? Um, where he was the he was in um, he was in Japan, the Last Samurai, oh, and yeah. he's. He's getting he's getting his butt kicked by one of the samurai during a sparring session with the boken, which is the wooden sword. And his host says, you have too many mind. Mind on your opponent, mind on people watching, mind on the sword, too many mind. And it's about surrendering to the moment. And he gets present and he basically fights the guy to a draw. Right. And how many times are we overlooking those places where we could surrender to something bigger than ourselves? And then the final one is. None of this is any good if we don't take action, right? So it's taking inspired action. It's like, I think it was Tony La Russa, the, the, the late uh, Dodger manager who just passed away, said uh, there are three types of people in this world, people who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people that look around and say, what just happened, right? And so it's about taking that action. And even if it's small steps, but each and every day taking a step toward where we want to go. So those are the seven yeah. seven qualities of black belt leadership. Those those are so good. And I would so love to dig into each one of those. But here's what we're going to do at this point. We're going to recommend that the listener go get the book. We'll 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 leave some links and I'll let you mention where they could find that shortly. But uh, in the few minutes that we have. Um, all right. So that's that book. Give us just a quick glimpse of kind of the next thing that's coming up for you just finished a book and yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And, uh, and then we're going to start wrapping up. Very I, good. I always joke with people, my start wrapping up could be like the first encore of a Bruce, Bruce Springsteen concert. We may have three or four wrap ups. Got, go got it. Got it. Got it. Well, well, the latest book, I just, geez, I just happen to have it here, Tim, but it's called, Yay. it's called breaking through. And this came about because I do a corporate board breaking experience workshop. So I just did one this weekend here in Denver, where I literally have people take a board that we break in martial arts and they write the breakthrough they want to experience in their life, business, relationships on one side. The other side, they write the limiting beliefs that have held them back. And then I coach them how to break the board. Now, I've had amazing, you know, people have had amazing experience breaking the board and I see people around in town in Denver and they, hey, that board's still in my office. I love that experience. But I often wondered, did they really have their breakthrough? I mean, after we left, did you really have it? And that really gnawed at me. So I thought, well, I, I wrote this book. It's I have three principles. Actually, there's 10 chapters to it about how do you actually take that idea of having a breakthrough and what are the practical steps you can take to make it happen? And it's based on having, you know, clarity in your vision, vision again, creating a plan and then taking consistent action. So you can make that a reality in your life. And that's literally just went up on Amazon this week. So, wow, congratulations. Yeah, that's you. excellent. So, so for those that might be watching this on the live version, they could go ahead and get that. And Absolutely. I may ask you, ask you, or hopefully someone on my team can jump down and put the link in, in the comments, but definitely if you're listening by the time the podcast or YouTube comes out, it is available. And uh, so those are some great resources I've got. Let me see which encore question I want to get to first, because I've got a lot of them floating around here, Chris. Um, first thing, I, I saw this, and boy, I'd love to just hear it briefly. You went on 
Uh, it's kind of a, a famous hike walk through Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it said you did it about five or six, maybe seven or eight years ago. Yeah. But could you tell just briefly about that? And then I'm going to ask you a few questions to wrap, really wrap Absolutely. up. Some serious. Absolutely. <laughs> well, what you're referring to is the walk called the Camino de Santiago. So it is a, a 800 kilometer, 500 mile walk across northern Spain. So people have been doing it for for probably the last thousand years. In, Fran- in fact, St. Francis of Assisi was was one of the more famous people that did it. It started out in the early days of the church almost as a means of penance. So pilgrims would go to absolve themselves from their indiscretions. And it's later on become just a walk for people to get a greater spiritual connection from within. And I'd always wanted to do it. And so I had a whole series of amazing circumstances happen back in May of 24, or yeah, 2014, where I did it, uh, walked it in uh, just, I came in the morning of my 29th day, walked about, what was it, I guess, uh, 17, 18 miles a day, slept in hostels all over across Northern Spain, started out in, in Western France. You go up into the Pyrenees Mountains, you descend into Spain, and then you literally... Most of the time I walked by myself, but then I would meet people from all over the world, all over the world. And the lessons, because the way you walk the Camino is generally how you were doing your life. So I realized at the halfway point that I was living, I was walking the Camino like an athletic event, like something I just needed to get through. And I had a pretty profound experience that shook me out of that. And the next two weeks I slowed it down. And that's when that's when all the, the blessings were there. Yeah. Wow. So you, you were, you got a reminder that it's important to enjoy the journey. Totally. And, it, and I was so, you know, in fact, it's interesting, like most things that we develop habitually, it, I was totally unconscious to what I was doing until somebody asked me a question. If, if I might, I, I went by this one morning, I was, you know, I'd get up early in the morning, five o'clock, six o'clock, I'm on the trail and I'm walking in this village and I walk past this doorway that caught my eye and I go about 10 paces and I thought, I need to check that. And I go back and over the door, it says refuge for the peregrinos, refuge for the pilgrims. And I begin to step inside and all of a sudden my monkey mind goes, it's a tourist trap. Don't go in, you know, they'll blah, blah, blah. So I leave and I go on my way. Well, the next day I've hiked again and I had run into a, a group, a great group of Americans and Canadians. And I walk into a restaurant, they see me and they wave me over. So I sit at the head table, they've already started eating. And the guy on the left of me is from San Francisco. And he says, hey, how about we all share our stories about the best part of the Camino so far? He goes, I'll start. Did anybody stop by the refuge for the Peregrinos yesterday? He goes, man, I went in there. They gave me cookies, soft music was playing. I drank tea. I read a book for two hours. It was the best thing I did and I'm, you remember Fred Flintstone, we used to get embarrassed and he'd shrink like that. That's what I did. And I, I sheepishly raised my hand and I said, told him the story. And I said, I'm committing right now to slow down. And that was the greatest gift. One of the greatest gifts of the Camino. Wow. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Cause I, I've heard about that. I think there's been some movies yes, about it yeah. and other things like that. And yeah. so uh, it sounds like you've learned something that all of us, need learn or you were reminded about enjoying the journey what a great what journey what great journey you've been on and continue to be on chris i'd i'd love for you to tell us what is your ideal client or if someone wanted to really reach out to you and 
you know, uh, maybe the speaking world is going to start opening up a little bit more, hopefully soon. And uh, but I know you coach, you've got your books and all that. Who should reach out to you and try to find you? And then I'm going to ask you how to how they need to do that in just a second. Thanks for asking. Well, from a speaking standpoint, I, you know, corporate teams, teams that are sales teams are great for me. You know, people that are looking to break through and I've worked with realtors in the past. I've worked with all sorts of teams that are have sales, you know, in their mind, they're, they're service oriented. I think I work well with those teams that are coming together and wanting to have breakthrough results, but also not just have breakthrough results, but don't do it at the risk of having the other elements of their life go out of whack. You know, it's like I often say, we're never balanced, but we're always balancing, right? And so how do you navigate that? And how do you have those breakthroughs? in all aspects of your life. So corporate, from a a speaking standpoint, in terms of individual coaching clients, I think I do really well with entrepreneurs. You know, even though I had the corporate experience, people are looking to, uh, you know, they have their own businesses, they're small business owners. They're they're looking, how do I lead my staff effectively? How do I bring self-leadership to my own life? Those are the people that tend to gravitate toward me and that I can do my best work with. That's good. That's because they're they're going after that growth or champion yeah. mindset. I'll and, tell you what, I think a- that being an entrepreneur, not that you can't have it corporately, but being an entrepreneur was one of the greatest personal development, spiritual development growths I've ever had because I couldn't hide anywhere. You know, it was me. I had to look at myself if I was going to be successful. Yeah. Chris, we'll include it in the notes, but uh how can people connect with you if they want to reach out to you, find your resources, books, and things like that? Go ahead and give it verbally, and we'll make sure people can see it uh, in the notes that we have. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I could, they can just go to my website, which is www.chrisnatsky.com. It's all one word, C-H-R-I-S-N is in Navy, A-T-Z is in Zebra, K-E.com. And go to my website. You'll see all my programs. You can go to my store. That's where you can you know, get my books and other programs that I have. And uh, also, if you want to, if anyone wants to set up a time, contact me and just have a, you know, one-on-one complimentary coaching session or something, you know, and talk about something, see if there's a match for that. I'd love to have that conversation. Excellent. Well, I'm going to reach out and get the books and, and read those. And I encourage people to connect with you. We are Seek, Go, Create here, Chris, and three words, which one of those jumps out at you more than the other two when I say those three words and why? Last question yeah. I've got for you. Here. Yeah. You know, I guess it's the word create. And, and the reason I say that is I have a very strong belief that everything in our lives is twice created. It's first created in our mind, right? And then it's created through the work that we do. And, you know, we could argue that that, that creation in mind can be inspired you know, from something higher than us, which I believe that it is. But it's when we put that element together and we look at the creation mode as a co-creation, if you will, that's when I think we're at our best and our most powerful. So that's the one that resonates best with me. Wow. Chris, I knew I would enjoy this conversation and thank you so much for taking the time. I know it was a blessing for those that listened in. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you've been listening to this, we would highly encourage you to continue the conversation and we listed a few places to do that. You could go to any of our socials. We're Seek Go Create on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, also Clubhouse, or you could go to our website, seekgocreate.com. Make sure we've got your best email address because that's how you could stay up to date with all that we're doing. And remember that we drop a new episode every Monday 
and we'll have another great one next week and the next week and the next week. So make sure, make sure that you're subscribed. And I just encourage you to continue being all that you were created to be. Thank you.